Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here we go. 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 This is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine. I'm Andy Dawson. Pow, pow, pow. And I'm Sam Nifty Delaney. So what? Welcome along. This is our very first episode of Humans of Honour, uh, where we, uh, we, we've tracked down and cornered someone who we admire for various reasons, and we've had a chat with them. <laughs> like a rat. <laughs> like a rat. In the corner of a barn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hang on, are we the rat or are we cornering the rat? Well, I, <laughs> um, well really, the person of honour, the human of honour is the rat, the but rat. that sounds awful because they're people that yeah. we admire. But I'm just saying, when I think of cornering of anything, I usually envisage cornering a rat. But that's the worst thing you can do to corner a rat, because they lash out, they go for your throat. Don't know. they? Well, you know, that's the thing. So, I grew up in the city, so I don't really... Uh, I mean, there are a lot of rats here, but I lack, I lack the skills yeah. to deal with them. They, there's no reason to corner them. They just go about their business, and you go about your business, and it's a kind of symbiotic live relationship. When yeah. it comes to rats, live and let live. That's what you're saying. <laughs> So the um, so we haven't cornered in that sense. We've we've just pinned down almost pinned down and quizzed. Mm. But uh, the first subject of of our first humans of honour is Stan here. Uh, tell us a little bit about Stan here, Sam. Well, you know, if you regularly listen to Top Flight Time Machine, you know there's certain TV shows that we're very passionate about, and one of the main ones is Alvi the Same Pet, um, and. Uh, we were. We, I don't know how it came about. Oh, we we've been during lockdown. We've been really, really into watching the official FIFA World Cup films, and one of our favourite ones was the 1982 one, which was called Golay, mm. um, and it was narrated by Sean Connery. And we were just chatting about how wonderful the scripts are. They're quite. Yeah. They're full of poetic flourishes and. They they're kind of scripted in this way that is very unusual and incongruous for sports coverage. So while we were chatting about, it, I think you, Andy, looked up out of interest who wrote the script. You saw it as a guy called Stan yeah. Hay, and then you cross referenced, presumably on his IMDb, and thought not only did this guy write a fantastic script for that yeah. wonderful World Cup film, he also wrote numerous episodes of Alvida Zone Pet, mm-hmm. and later um, he wrote. Uh, his own series, The Manageress, with Cherry Lungi, which of course was huge for young football fans in that era in the in the early nineties. I mean, yeah. like, wow, this guy's this is amazing. This guy has written so much of the content that we've spent so much time talking about yeah. on Top Flight Time Machine. So I thought, fuck this, let's get in touch with him. So I got in touch. He's with him almost on like our muse or something, isn't he? It's like a muse, and we didn't realise it. And yeah. I think he was surprised to hear mm-hmm. from me on Twitter. He seemed a bit like. I don't know what he thought, but I think he was surprised because we'd sort of dug up a lot of his old work. And he was like, well, this is all a long yeah. time ago, but fine. So anyway, he agreed to speak to us and we gave him a buzz. And I've got one regret 
um, okay. about the chat, which you're about oh. to hear, is that we didn't have enough time to go th- through loads of what he wrote. Um, he wrote two episodes in 1978 of Crown Court. Crown Court. Ooh. This is where the cosmos really is at play. Yeah. Crown Court used to be the outro music for about the first year and a half it of did. Top Flight Time Machine. It did. Right? And we've talked about Crown Court a lot. And we didn't even mention that. So this is Cosmos shit, right? Stan yeah. Hay's work, and I'll be honest, I hadn't heard of Stan Hay until a couple of weeks ago when you when you told me about uh, his name. But his work has cast a shadow over everything we've done on top of our lives. It's remarkable. Yeah. yeah. We might have bigged it up too much, but anyway, here's the interview. See what you think. Humans of Honour. So we're delighted to welcome to the first episode of Top Flight Time Machines, Humans of Honour. Our first human of honour, the fantastic uh, writer of some of the greatest TV of all time, Mr. Stan Hay. Stan, hello and welcome. How are you doing? All right. I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, is, out, out of the, happy to be out of the sun. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> where, whereabouts are you based? Where are, we to, where are you talking to us from, Stan? Uh, Wiltshire, darkest Wiltshire, darkest Wiltshire. Um, we're we're delighted to to have tracked you down and to have got you on the show. Um, it was when we realised uh, when we were we you know earlier in the lockdown period, Amazon released all of the World Cup films, and um, Andy discovered them and then introduced right. me to them. And I, I've I've been working my way through all of them, and we were you know we just think they're wonderful films, and they've been such brilliant nostalgic trips for us. But we yeah. we were just marvelling at the scripts in all of them as well because it wasn't like the sort of language or scripting that you ordinarily see associated with football coverage or sports coverage. It was rather more poetic than that. And then yeah. when we saw your name on it, a name we recognised from some of our favourite TV shows, such as I've been saying, Peter the Manageress, we thought, wow, this all makes sense. Um, yeah. So I suppose, you know, we've got all of that to get through. But tell us first, how, how did your um, career as a writer begin? Um, well, there was a lot of slumming around for two or three years in London. You know, I was working for, for time out as a freelance and then um, on sport and, and any other thing I could get going. And my college friend and I, in our spare time, started writing scripts because we'd always liked sort of TV stuff and everything. And, but our third attempt, we got an interview from BBC Birmingham, and they were putting on things called Second City Firsts, and they did a half-hour play of ours, which was set in a football press box, believe it or not, uh, on, a, on a windy night at Charlton Athletic, just for it was just, it was just a four old lags talking about the game, you know. Um, so I got us started and did an episode of Hazel through Terry, Terry Venables and met him, you know. Oh, great! And then um, Agony in the late seventies. Got audition for that. Got onto that. It was a comedy with Maureen Lippin as an uh, agony aunt, and the joke was that she was good at solving everybody else's problems, but not her own. You know, so it was uh, quite quite daring for its time. It was created by uh, uh, Anna Rabin, an American guy, and um, a couple of comedy pilots. Then you know, you get you get sucked into these things. One was said about about two lads. In the 60s, trying to form a band that was with Wits End, who were basically Dick Clementine Refrenny and their manager Alan McCune. They'd moved to America, but they wanted to start developing programs over here, you know. Um, and that got made, got shown, but it didn't go to a series. 
and then two years later they, we did another one which was um, something said in the 60s also this one was about a hairdresser which is Alan McEwen had been a hairdresser in the 60s um, if you ever see Get Carter again mm. watch the end credits his name crops up as hairdresser or hairstylist <laughs> and anyway by then he was a senior producer he was a big producer in you know for Wits End and Hollywood and things and it was, um, it was Wits End of course that they made Alvarez and Pet so that's right yeah, you, yeah. That's, that was the connection you, really and it was uh, and, um, uh, Dick and Ian that created it wasn't it and so yeah they, they, they got, got the really, they got the idea sorry, from uh, uh, Frank Rodham who lived from Stockton originally and he, he apparently he went home one Christmas and went to the pub and all his mates had disappeared you know and uh, so he said, "Where the islands are, they all worked in Germany, you know." So when he when he went, he was a film director at the time. He he was he'd done Quadrophenia and cashed that in to go to America, and um, went back and better. You know, he knew all the Brits know each other in LA anyway, you know. But he said to you know, Dick and Ian, he said, "There's a story here, you know. All these Geordies and Sunderland people, you know, they're, they're all out, they're all out in Germany earning money, you know, because it was the sort of time of the first Tory." Recession, which was entirely engineered by uh, the eighty-one budget of Jeffrey Howe, you know, put about three million people at work. You know. um, so they got they got wind of that, and of course there was it's around about the same time there was the Alan Bleasdale, the, you know, Voice and the Black Stuff, which was yeah. went out a year year earlier. You know. So the, the the air was sort of um, thick with plots really about the. the so um, with that first series of Avengers in Pet, then that, that was commissioned, and, and you wrote two episodes. That I did. I, I, I was I was brought in by uh, well, not, not by accident, but I mean, they started. They got commissioned in '82 to do it, and uh, Dick and him were doing it on their own. But they kept um, going off and doing other things, or Dick did because he's a director, and they were falling way behind on the schedule. So uh, I got called in by Alan McEwen, the ex-hairdresser, one Saturday morning, and uh, they showed, he showed me some footage. And I thought it was like a wartime documentaries these it was actually Jimmy Nell walking over a building site you know <laughs> kicking rocks around and, and I, I said what is it and he said it's about lads in a building site you know and, uh, and there's no no music or effects or anything and, uh, but I had worked on a building site briefly myself sometimes and I knew about those sort of terrible whips and, and um, so he said Could you have, you have a, do you have, would you have a go you know and I said fine yeah when job would you start he said Monday you know um, they <laughs> So we worked out that um, Bomber hadn't had an episode about him, you know. So I wrote this episode about his daughter feeling missing her dad and going over to find him. Oh, uh, yeah. And, uh, and Bomber goes so, back home and she's. Were you given carte blanche to just come up with a story for that then, Stan? Or did they give you a storyline they wanted to flesh out into a script? No, they, the only thing they, they gave me the, 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 the brief, which was to find a story for Bomber. Mm-hmm. That's all, because he. Um, They'd done bits and pieces of it, but everybody really had fleshed out the yeah. characters. It's him and Boxy, really, with the neglected mm-hmm. ones. And so I just had this idea that he, you know, the, one of the unintended consequences of working abroad is your kids miss you, you know. And the, mm-hmm. the idea is that the daughter came over and then she got into the hut, and, and it was all this to play for with trying to protect her from Wayne, getting his evil little hands on her, you know. So, oh, so yeah. Dennis, yeah. Uh, that, that's it. I remember that episode. I didn't see it that long ago. But Wayne ends up giving her the knockback, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, he's Dennis. 
says that who better to look after a girl than someone like you, Wayne, you know, because you know that <laughs> if you have a left finger on it, you would have your plums on a kebab. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> rather than having... Ba- if you had Barry in there, it would have been embarrassing, you know. Yeah. Wayne knows... knows it was a standout mm-hmm. episode, really. I think because it was like it was the first time any of the characters had, had sort of uh, disappeared almost from the building site. Because Bomber went back home, didn't he, to see his wife mm-hmm. trying to find the he, daughter? He did, yes. And, yeah. and it, it also showed them as as different different sides of their characters, uh, more yeah. caring men than they were in the, the previous episode. So it was it was a bit of a fish out of water episode, but it really stood out. Well, it went. It was. It wasn't actually in sequence. You know, they just they had a block of things that they were that they'd shot and were editing, mm. and they identified a hole. You know, where the 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 narrative had broken up or something, and they said you can put an episode five in there, do a story about Barnum, just do it there. You know, so mm. things didn't really. When I mean, the first series was, was sort of self-contained stories, and the second yeah. series became a sort of single narrative about. You know, working on the house and then get escaping to Spain. You know, so, yeah. so the first one was much more about every story was about itself. You know, mm. and, uh, you know some of the things but, spilled over. And, but of course, you also but, um, you also wrote the final episode of series one as well, which was where all the all the loose ends were tied up, and it ended with the spectacular burning yeah, down that, of the the hut. That's right. Yes, yeah, so that was another that was another um, phone call saying, "Are you busy?" You know, um, <laughs> so. <laughs> I said, why? He said, we, didn't, we need the last episode now. And I said, all right, okay, when do you want it by? And Stop I said, it's Friday. <laughs> so the Dick and Ian had gone missing again, you know. So um, right. I had a quick, we had a quick, meet, quick meeting and, and said, what are we going to do? And he said, well, we've got to get off the site. You know, the BBC have bought the site. We can't come back here. The um, Central hadn't, hadn't uh, at this stage, recommissioned the series. They'd been, had a look at it and thought it was too rough and vulgar. Right. Which it was, and um, so they thought it was going to just yeah, die a gas. Really, really, yeah. you know? mm. So the whole thing felt like a, you know, a goodbye, you know, and everything. So um, we were talking about what to do, and then uh, I think it was actually Ian and I simultaneously said, "What about burning the hut down?" You know, and uh, so we worked at that, and I went away and finished it in about five, six days. I got the first draft in because they were running behind schedule, you know, and they're mm. des- desperate to get finished this stuff off, you know. Um, and it worked all right when. They, you know, some people got upset about it, but it was—it had to be something had to be done because we couldn't go back there, you know. And yeah. Did, in did Germ- it end up being it, sold for EastEnders the, the set? The site, was well, the BBC bought the site, yeah, they, and they built they built the EastEnders set on there, and they also that there was a tower block um, in there which became the set for Holby City Hospital. Right. You know, they put so it was useful to them twice over. You know, it was a it was a Great. sort of TV studio anyway. You know, they, and you know that they built these German. Housing on the, on the site there, and half half yeah. built them. So brought, they actually brought in German brick, German bricks, cranes, equipment, and everything. Just right. occasionally you'd see something that told you it was Elstree in the background. You know. Stan, where were you from originally? Uh, Liverpool. Liverpool, and and uh, you're obviously judging by all the stuff you've written, you're a big football fan. What, what side of the what side of the city were you from? Uh, the Red. Right. But I did, I did, I did go and see them when they were in the second, the old second division. So, All right, uh, I wasn't a Johnny Come Lately, really. <laughs> so you, so so because so, res- reserve games on a, on a sort of Saturday afternoon, starting at two o'clock, and you you could stand in the in the back of the Anfield Road and then kick the corrugated iron shed. You know, 
and then you come out and get beaten up by some other kids, older kids. And then <laughs> gradually you graduated, you graduated into the, what was called the boys' pen in the cop. Yeah. It was a top, top, top corner of the cop. It was penned off to protect the cop from these kids, me included. And there was like fires starting and cigarettes and everything going on. God. It's like a sort of San Quentin, really. You can see all these blokes. <laughs> Jesus Christ, look at these kids. Here, you know. So you, you obviously, when you became a writer, you know, you, you drew upon all of that sort of culture, the language, the humour of that sort of working class environment. It was infused yeah, in, yeah. in all of your work, really, wasn't it? Uh, mostly, yes, I think so. I can't, I've never done a costume drama, I don't think, yeah. uh, so far. I'm likely to get the, asked to do one, you know. But, um, no, it was, I mean, I thought the, the stuff was always, I was always sort of like um, trying to, you know, try to do social realism, but with laughs, really, you know, trying to get yeah. some laughs out of it, you know, rather yeah. than being grim, grim and downtrodden, you know. So with the second um, series of Pet, then, did you, did you have more uh, creative input next? I believe you wrote, you wrote more episodes in the second series. Than you I did, yeah, I was... I did. They kept me on that on that one because they, they waited for a bit before they, because once the um, sh- show started in late '83, then uh, and they, on Friday night and the viewing figures started to rocket rocket up, you know, and then yeah. Central realised they had a, a, a hit. They had to go back to the actors and say, um, um, you know, those contracts we cancelled, can we start <laughs> again? You know, and they they all just said, right, how much? You know, so they all doubled them. Yeah double their money you know. not the writers but they did you know all oh, right okay and um dick ian and dick and ian and i and roger the director and the producer martin mckean we went to spain in february of 1985 to, to do a recce because we decided that spain was about the nearest thing we could get to you know going abroad again mm. all kinds of options were discussed like the falkland Islands and saudi arabia but they were all too sort of Dull, really, I suppose. Spain was tricky. Um, Sorry, in Spain, yeah, um, but tricky only in the sense that we'd, there was only really one plot, which was that because it was Costa del Crime at the time, there were yeah. all these British criminals who'd, living in Spain because Spain wasn't a member of the EU at the time. It became a became a condition of them joining that they had to get rid of the British criminals who'd all, all right. taken refuge there. You know, mm. just they were out in broad daylight, wandering around and owned bars and restaurants and things. You know. So um, yeah. it was just it was just um, playing with that idea really, you know, because he was already, they were already working for two British criminals in Ali and Kenny Ames, you know. So it was just fleshing that out a bit, but trying to keep the sense of humour going, you know. But um, the, res- the research thing was up and down. It was a yeah, and then he got wiped out because Roger uh, Bamford was crossing the road and, the, and it, we were all in the car and he looked the wrong way. <laughs> and then this giant, giant truck headed towards us and he yelled at him to put kit reverse. We just otherwise we'd all been wiped out and and then um, when we got into so what's it, what's that? there's Marbella, there's a, we got into Marbella and uh, got the car and uh, first of all Martin McKean took a piss in the hedge in front of this restaurant and then Ian spotted this um, Maserati he said, Ah, the bloke who owns this, he must be a real let's see you and you know asterisk. <laughs> and this bloke stood up and said, That's my mate. That's my car. <laughs> no offence, no, no offence, mate, no offence. <laughs> and then, we were, um, and then um, when we found the place where the British crims hung out, it was called The Office, it was in Fuengarola. And uh, we, we'd, somebody, had, a friend I, I knew was sort of ex-con or something, and he, he said, oh, I know but most of them, I'll, tip, I'll tell them you're coming, and they'll be all right. 
you'll be safe, you know, so we'll bloody all hope so, you know. But anyway, we got we got in there and it was a replicating English pub really with photos of all the showbiz stars on it on right. the wall and a red telephone box in the corner and <laughs> wasn't quite wasn't quite virile in, you know, but they were all West Ham fans. Brits abroad. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's abroad and you know, longing for English winter and sausages. And yeah, egg and chicks, <laughs> lovely. Kid, kids running around, bare ass kids running around and everything. So they, although they were safe, a lot of them were unhappy, really. You know. Yeah. And then I mean, um, that 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 second series, um, obviously yeah. Barry Holton died midway through the filming of it. So you'll you'll have had yeah. major kind of rewriting to do around that, as well as kind of grieving the loss of one of the cast. Um, yeah, it, it was obviously it was difficult because in terms of just you know losing him, you know, anyway, it was a shock, you know, because it happened. But you know, like I suppose you can't say like if you, so it's almost if you knew since in some some way because we just filmed filmed him in Spain, the exterior shots of him wandering around in Spain and this sort of stuff. And what we hadn't filmed was the interior shots, which were all on a set. There was now built-in studio in Nottingham because. Um, Central had changed hands now. He'd gone to Carlton TV, regional, regional TV for uh, the Midlands. You know they'd all been swapped yeah. over. If you remember, um, yeah. so we had to do excuses where you know, the boys would go into like a bar or something or the Marbella Club, and then you'd cut back to this thing in Nottingham, this wooden shaggy set. Um, two months later, and they'd, you know they'd all be back in the same costumes, and someone would say, "Where's Wayne?" He's always gone to the toilet, or he's pulled that girl. You know, just had to make. Right. And they'd, do, they'd run a, put a double in sometimes, you know, just in the, in the background, yeah. you know. But we had to had to write him out of it, you know, in terms of we didn't do a sort of uh, Ollie Reed and Gladiator, you know, like re- recreate him. And yeah, there's no him CGI back then. There was nothing. No. Nah. You know, um, yeah, just. Somebody with a wig, somebody with a mullet wig at this bar, you know, they grab some blokes, put this jacket on and just don't move and don't show your face. <laughs> Before we uh, go more into that, into Alvida saying, get on to Mandurese, I've got to ask you, since we're on a subject to Spain, about how you came. It looks like, you know, fairly early, it was certainly before Alvida saying pet, uh, where you, you got the call up to write this, the Golay, the film of the 1982 World yeah. Cup. How did that come about? Uh, very strange, really. I still don't know to this day, really. Um, I was, um, you know, probably at a low ebb round about then. I think I'd, been, I'd tried to, some things had not worked out. And I'd tried, I'd tried, I remember trying to sell two suits on Edgware Road, you know, two old suits, and these black guys just shook their heads and said, no, mate, sorry, terrible, <laughs> take them away, you know. <laughs> and then um, um, I got, that's when our food's in pet. I got, I got some, some buzz from that, really, and picked up on that. And then the, we did no. We did the um, this pilot, the second pilot, and we did shot it in uh, Birmingham, and uh, it was got the hairdresser one in it. But we recorded it on a Sunday night. And it was the, the day that we declared war on Argentina, so mm. we couldn't get a single fucking laugh out of the audience. They were all sitting there thinking, "Oh Christ, <laughs> war again!" You know, and, and it was the sitcom went on and on. You know, in, in Sunday evening, they're all looking at their watches, thinking, "Let's go home." Now. And not a single laugh. You know, so that bombed. Um, and then uh, that summer, I am. Um, I had a sort of half French girlfriend, and she persuaded me to go and see her, come with her to go and see her dad, deepest friend. So, and bizarrely, I left, I left, I left the phone number with my flatmate just in case I got um, caught out or something, you know. And, and I've been there about ten days, getting absolutely slaughtered with the dad because he started 
filling me with perno about half ten in the morning, you know. <laughs> yeah. then, then, then you'd have a go down at the bar and have a drink, and then you come back for lunch and more drink, and then <laughs> snooze, and then start again at five thirty, you know. <laughs> so this, the the phone, the, the step the step, the wife came in and said, "Look, stand near phone, phone, you know." So this bloke introduced himself, and he, and he said he was in a phone booth in Devon somewhere. He said, um, "We'd like you to come. Can you can you write the." World Cup script, you know, we heard you about you, you've done some things for Time Out and whatever. And said, oh, yeah, okay. He said, um, This is Saturday afternoon. He said, I said, I'll be back again in about. No, he said, Could you come back for Monday, please? Nine o'clock. You know. I said, Okay, okay. So I then went to the girlfriend. I said, Sorry, I've got a, got a job, you know. So we set up in my car and headed north and stayed over. And I got in on Sunday and went straight to, to this studio, Summington Studios, at nine o'clock on the Monday. and it was again another one of these. They showed the rough footage of the film. It, they'd assembled it in some sort of order, and Tom Clegg, the director, was very good to me. And they had sort of sound, the sound, soundtracks on it. Fantastic Pardon? out of the blue phone call. They get in a drunken haze in France, though, isn't it? I know, yeah, it's so weird. You know, <laughs> I, you know. And then um, when he rescued me, I had another two days, I'd have been in the French hospital, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So they, they put the film together and you write a script to what's already been assembled. It was already, it was already done. It all been. Right. It was like what the, you know, like a rough edit. You yeah. Know? So they got an, the narrative, cut it together, you know, and uh, so it started with the open ceremony and all this sort of thing, and then straight in, they just worked got the story logically. But, but, but with this, the, the director and producer assemble what they thought was the story because you you can't tell them everything. Um, and I'd just obviously seen the games and everything, so they just talked me through the thing and said, "What do you think?" I said, "Well." Maradona is obviously the, the first story here, major on that one, you know, and then we started to pick up on England doing well. They won their first three games, which was unusual. Mm. Uh, in fact, almost unique. Really. And, uh, so, it, you know, then it, as the tournament developed, the stories got richer, really. You know, the, with Italy had three draws in their first three games, group games, and mm. only got in this behind Poland, you know, so they didn't look like at all like winners. And then they knocked out Brazil, you know, in that. 3 2 in that bizarre game. Yeah. Brazil with Socrates and Zico and everybody just had fantastic attack and no defence. You know. So it was, it was Sean Connery. Sorry, it was Sean Connery Sean, that was narrator. He was the narrator. He didn't see him. He was did, you know, he didn't, did you know it would be him when you were sitting down to write the script? Yeah, they told me. Yeah. Right. It's a bit, a bit scary, but it, never, never going to meet yeah. him. Did, you, ha- did you have his voice in your head as you wrote the script? A little bit, yeah. Little, little bit, you know. You tried. I tried to write. You know, I knew roughly what his voice was like. You know, sort of. Um, but he wouldn't. He had to go. T- he took the film over, and recorded it in his garage in Marbella. He wouldn't. <laughs> gave him a glass of water. <laughs> gave him a glass of glass of water. Uh, and type bastard. And I love that. Not idea. that. I, not that I'm. Not that I'm accusing him of being a Scottish stereotype. <laughs> but um, no, apparently, and he, you know, he did a write on the script apart from DDA Cease. It was a Frenchman yeah. called Didier Cisse and he got Didier Shush. Yeah, yeah. Didier yeah. Shush. Jalapeño. <laughs> Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Jalapeño. You were ambitious with that script. I mean, you know, did, did you look at the previous ones from the 70s and, and how they approached uh, it? Because do you see what I mean? It was uh, yeah. very different to yeah. your ordinary sports yeah. film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but the, the sort of... Um, I'd, I'd seen the one of the 1966 World Cup, you know, which is just mm. called Goal, as opposed yeah. to Goal, a terrible title. But, um, <laughs> so I knew the sort of the kind of literary style in a way, you know, the, yeah. or semi-literary style. The one in... Um, and he said quite is quite sort of um, Royal Shakespeare, Shakespeare Company really, and you can hear the thud of the ball, the sound effects. Is there. Yeah, there's still quite a lot of quite a lot of old-fashioned sound effects going on. You know, the somebody running along a paving stone and hitting the ball with a hammer. You know, and they just to create the shot. You know, because they're concentrating on the the film really, because they, they have like sort of sixteen cameramen. Yeah, and they don't know what the bloody hell's going to happen basically. So they're saying like, just follow the guy. So, and then you. They rely on the music and the, the, the sort of narrative to, to bring it all together, really, you know. So, yeah. Um, and it, it just, it was such a good tournament that for, for stories that it actually yeah, yeah. told the story. You know, you thought um, France were going to do it, you know, that terrible semi final against Germany when Schumacher came and nearly killed Battiston. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And um, if you, you notice the referee just points for a goal kick. Like, he doesn't even book him. Really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Patterson's rolling round with a broken jaw, and and he just walks past him. And says, you know, get up. You know. Incredible. Yeah, you um, did. You really um, didn't. You didn't hold back. Uh, uh, I can't remember the exact words, but you didn't hold back in the script on your sort of damning of Schumacher either. I mean, you really no. went for him, which was good. Yeah. Well, because I think because I had the week only a week to do it. I literally yeah. had to do the started on the Monday afternoon and. Brought it in on the Friday afternoon. Um, worked, worked through the night. I was single again that time. Well, they told the girlfriend to go away. You know, so I was single. <laughs> you broke it up in the car on the way back. <laughs> well, I think she got a bit, she got a bit pissed off about pissed off about breaking off the yeah the holiday, holiday early and then and saying, "All oh, right, I can't see you for a week. Now. I've got to do this football thing." <laughs> so I worked, worked through the night and just you know you had to go for it really rather than just sit around. And, um, so you know, did you have a reputation then of, of being someone who could turn a project around quickly because that was what happened with Avedis and Pets um, I'd probably, probably not I think it just they would just want the, the way it was those days you know they yeah. just sort of um, see the pants job you know the, mm. yeah you, you didn't have the time just, to be indulgent about it get the job done quickly no not really you know you just go with it you know and I was mm. you know I was young enough then to sort of stay up all night and Keep keep a keep a grip on the the story and the thread, and you know work it out all by hand first. But um, I mean, I say the the the, um, the sort of four key things. There's a Maradona duel with Gentili, you know that. Yeah. Everyone everyone expected Maradona to 
to, to be his World Cup really because he he's come of age and uh, yeah, Argentina wouldn't let him go to the 80, uh, 88 one because he was too young and then here you know the Belgians kicked him all over the place just, you know mobbed him you know, and then the uh, Italians just put Gentili on him you know and he just swarmed around him all the time you know and just uh, you know I think so they, they came up with this line that he uh, Italians used him uh, used him a one man crowd called Gentili you know so yeah that resonated you know. and then in the next one he just lost his temper and kicked one of the Brazilians in the balls and got sent off yeah. you know well, yeah. the thigh was, like, and then um, you know the, the the Rossi thing the redemption of Doc Rossi yeah banned for two years you know he thought well, how does he how does he feel you know and he suddenly started getting goals and out of nowhere and uh, you know it's just just full of um, drama you know anyway and the, the the final was quite a good final I think you, you did it again in um, 98 didn't you I did uh, 1990 1990 the Italian one 90, ah. and in and ninety eight, yeah, yeah. This, it was the same. It was the same, basically the same company that did it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sydney Samuelson, who were a British film production team, you know, um, they had their own setup and a chap called Drummond Chalice who um, had done them. And, uh, they basically got the rights, rolling rights from FIFA to do it. Apart from the uh, seventy eight one, is interesting. If you can ever get to get to hit, get hold of it, it was yeah, it was in Argentina and uh, the Brazil, a Brazilian team did it. And they used it to completely um, demolish the Argentinian military junta, you know. They had, oh, yeah. They talked to Platini and Paul Breitner, who were both communists, about yeah. human right, human rights and things like that, because it went down like a book of sick with FIFA. And it was never, <laughs> never, n- never released. I, I, got, I saw a copy of it, but it, it was never released. Was I, I think there's a, new, wow. a different version, because at the moment on Amazon, all of these films are available, and I've watched... Are they? Oh, right. I've watched all uh, all of your ones, all the three you've mentioned. Thank you. And um, I, and and also, I'm, I've never been haven't been paid for it. No royalties. <laughs> yeah, well, if they're, list, if they're listening, get in touch with Jeff Bezos. Is my uh, is is yeah. my advice because he's um, raking it in at the moment. Yeah, I'm sure he's not short of a Bob or two. No. Um, what was your favourite of the three to to write? I think the first one because it was new. Um, the second wasn't wasn't bad because. Uh, I got to do one, a match in Italy myself. I was working for the Sunday correspondent at the time, a oh, yeah. short-lived film, and I did the one of the quarter-final, no, a, yeah, quarter-final, I think it was, um, or a second-round group game in Florence, um, Italy against what was then uh, Yugoslavia, um, and that m- match went on all afternoon because they oh, yeah. sending Bad- off. Baggio scored, scored a wonder goal in that game, didn't he? That was a that was against the USA, I think. Oh, okay. This one, this was Maradona in Argentina. I got uh, uh, they they got one of their Yugoslav players sent off, and then they went to ninety minutes in extra time, then penalties. So it was getting towards like half seven, and I'm in the press box, the newspaper screaming at me, "Get the fuck!" I said, "The match isn't finished yet. <laughs> I can't tell you what the result is." You know? So well, guess, guess the result. I said, "Nil, nil." <laughs> for the pages. I said, "What's it?" So it's out of, you know. They, Went with one nil nil. You know. Fortunately, it stayed that way. Then I had to, I had to do a rewrite on my own in this <laughs> stadium, and then came out, walked back to the centre of Florence, and you couldn't hear a thing other than these tellies because the Italy, Italy Island match was on. You know, there's nobody on the streets at all. Just this glow, green glow on the uh, out of all these apartments. You know. 
So I enjoyed that, and I enjoyed the tournament. And, but it just, the great, the great anticlimax that we didn't get Italy and England in the final, really. Yeah. You know, uh, that was what the, uh, the Italian Cup producer did a runner, I think. Yeah. After that, he um, <laughs> disappeared because he was staked all his staked all on Italy getting to the final. They, they got ambushed <laughs> by Argentina. And then we couldn't <laughs> get past. We couldn't get past, too, was it? Germany. West Germany. Yeah. Germany, West Germany, it was still West, West Germany, Germany, yeah, it was their last traumatic one. night. Yeah. Um, so, another hero, hero, heroic failure, you know. Well, that was done voiced by Edward Woodward, yes, yeah. So, I couldn't say the equalizer, yeah. So, and 98 was voiced so. by um Sean Bean, so Sean they Bean. always had the sort of bit uh, actor de jour, didn't they? Yeah, they'd pick people up, you know, um, who were sort of in, in the in the know, in the, in mm. the had to be football fans, and were, um, yeah, and so it, I didn't it's, it's not didn't the kind of job that it's not the kind of job that most football loving actors would turn down, is it? It's really prestigious yeah. to do something like that. So. Yeah, but I think it's it's a bit of a bore for them because they they had to sit in, a stu- sit in a studio and look at this footage and this read the script, and, mm. and then they got to get the timing right and the expression right, and then yeah. the director mm. and then is saying, "Can you show a bit more emotion?" <laughs> Or, I don't like these words. Said, well, don't change it because that ruins it. And they had a bit of a bit of a struggle with Sean Bean to get him to uh, rise above the uh, you know, rise to the occasion a bit. Really. Yeah, yeah. Sean Bean's one. Sean Bean's one yeah, is bit, quite lacklustre. I've got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, no. He was a bit, a bit quiet, really. He was yeah, very so. quiet, and I felt this is not the Sean Bean we know from. You know, Lady Chatterley's yeah. and all of his other hard man roles. He, he's quite sort of understated in it. But nevertheless, I mean, there's some great action in it. Listen, we don't want to keep you too much long, but we haven't talked about the manageress yet, which is, um, right, yeah. uh, you know, obviously uh, such a mem- for, for men of mine and Andy's generation, such a memorable show. I mean, you you. Know, there wasn't many programmes ever, really. Not ones aimed at a sort of adult audience, dramatisations of the world of football before that, was yeah. there? Um, how did you manage to get it away? Because, of course, these were still the days before football had sort of come back to being fashionable, really, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it was 89, 90. It was mm. really, really the doghouse then. Yeah. Because of yeah. High School and Hillsborough, you know, the terrible things that happened. I mean, the, the Hillsborough happened in the second, just before the second series started. Um, there'd been a couple of things uh, on Neville Smith, who, who ended up, I ended up getting... I grabbed him in to come and write a few episodes. Did a thing called the Captain's Tale in 1982, I think, with uh, Dennis Waterman and Tim Healy. In oh, it. But, but West Auckland. That's the one going to win the, the Thomas Lipton Cup. And yeah, yeah, I remember Juventus. that. Of course, yeah, my part Beating of the Juventus, yeah. and it, because of it, Juventus got this black and white strip. You know, the, from the they copied it. You know, so that that'd been on that time. Well, it was a one-off. You know, but um, so was that you as well? No, that was Neville Smith. That's why I got right. the producers to get to get Neville in to do it. He's very good, Neville, but he only does one draft. So it's mm. a bit awkward for the producers to say, right, you would do a rewrite now, Neville. He says, what? <laughs> a rewrite? So he said, what, what's that? And I said, no, we just go, we go, we go back over it again. So why? <laughs> and we'll just, just improve it. What's wrong with it? Like um, it. Well, nothing wrong with it. It just needs to just be a bit of polish. I did polish it. <laughs> but no, we'd like to do it together, you know. Well, no, I do, I, I do the writing. So, can you try again? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Just stubborn. So, and the, the producer said, Neville! <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, this, uh, 
Um, and it was Channel 4, basically. It came out in Channel 4, we were getting going, and then, um, because uh, the, I was approached by this independent production company who'd sort of kick-started the idea with a producer at Channel 4, and, he, and uh, they might have, I think they tried another writer, and then he came to me, probably because of the World Cup things, and I don't know, you know and uh, mm. um, I just said it was, you know, I'll... I do it, but I have to make it realistic, as in, rather than a complete fantasy. And you know, I know it's it's a she gets appointed because it's a fiddle between a her a feckless Italian dad and a feckless uh, mm. club owner. You know, yeah. Um, as a deal, as a deal behind her back, she thinks she's getting it on merit, and she's not. You know, but yeah. the whole idea of you know confronting the male uh, establishment with this you know different approach, softer, quieter, you know, more sensitive take on football. You know. Um, yeah. And some of it, some some of it was about you know the, the, br- the brutality of the football at the time you know and the behaviour of the fans and the, well the way with the the way fans were perceived more like more accurately you know that it was just taking like a fem- feminine view of it you know so when they when she first goes in with them and they they're, they're trying to she's right we're going to see how fit you are and takes them to an aerobic session and yeah sort of, my wife my wife I was married by then she was an aerobics teacher so. Um, she would you know actually destroy an athlete you know in about half an hour you know of of strong aerobics you know so i i made that as the first sequence you know the they're all panting on the floor and she walks around amongst them and says right we'll get started with some proper stuff tomorrow you know, yeah. <laughs> you know so it was just, yeah. it was and it was just part, it was some of it was to do it preempted the venga thing of diet and not yeah, yeah, sure, isn't it and didn't she have them doing ballet at some point or have i misremembered that um, yoga, I think it was. Yoga, yoga. yeah, yeah. And she, that, she said, he, he confused it as ballet, and one of them says, is this a pas de deux? And he said, no, no. She says, no, that's that's ballet, this is yoga. <laughs> um, and another thing was like stopping them going to the pub at lunchtime, you know. Yeah. After after the game, or after training, you know, just put, putting the weight back on. And so you're right, Cherry, Cherry Lungi really was the uh, sort of template for Arsene Wenger, wasn't she? <laughs> yes, she was really, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I think that's what... I think she well, had think she been was, cheap, had she been cheaper, she probably got the job. Yeah. Yeah. Think, it was the sort of was ahead of its time. I, I think we're, we're probably not that far away from having a female boss at a professional football club. To be honest, well, it depends on what actually. Yeah, what well, happened? You know, in this one it was a fiction, and uh, as I say, it was arranged. But once it once it just you accepted the idea and went with it, and it, it became mm. quite interesting, really. You know, because I did one about the uh, young black guy getting. Uh, Having bananas thrown at him, thrown at him, and you know, but they came from the home team. It was the home team getting, you know, re- revolting against having black players in the team. And yeah, I went, yeah. I went to this, I went to this Arsenal West Ham game once, and standing in amongst some, one of you's a West Ham fan, aren't they? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's no offence, but this is a true story. It was at Highbury in the eighties, and uh, this young left back was getting his debut or something. And as he went past, all these West Ham fans were making monkey noises. At their own, at their own player, and I thought, Christ, that's bad. You know? and, uh, so yeah. I just remembered that really, and just thought it's, you know, mm. put put something some of that in there. And it was just a, it was basically just to say, you know, take an alternative view of what if a woman took over and, you know, dictate. And then Karen Brady got some jobs, and but she was a. Uh, an executive ring rather than some female coaches it felt felt to my eyes at least you know when I was a kid watching it it felt like very authentic portrayal I mean if you even forget about the sort of female uh, element of it just as a sort of a way of looking at behind the scenes in football it felt really authentic and quite gritty I mean what, what was the reaction of people actually working in football to it did you have much reaction from them 
Yeah, I mean, um, well, just as a just mention how the set of work, they cast people. And we got a, a coaching called Les Shannon, and we got all, put a call out. And normally, what you do is cast the actors and say, "Right, can you play football?" And this way, they did, did it the other way around. Said, so, "Right, let me get 150 actors coming, see how they are, give them a workout, see if they can play football, and then we'll see if they can act." You know, right. So over in Northland, and all these people turned up in various garbs and leggings and <laughs> all claiming to have had a trial for West Ham and things you know. <laughs> some some of them were prancing around and you know you said next next you know so it was a bit like you know dancing on ice or something mm. and eventually we whittled <laughs> it down to about 20 or 30 then they put them through the process of seeing if they could act and put string words together so by the, and then we Les Shannon took them away for a month um, coached them played friendlies against them by the end of the month they thought they were a real team they came back you know they were saying you know, their the, the mentality had become a real team. You know, they, they were joshing each other and falling out. And, and um, so, by the time we started filming, they, they thought they thought they were real. You know, so when they so when they played, mostly used used reserve teams for the opposition at, at Reading and Sheffield United and then in Atlanta and Bergamo and things like that. So, so made, and then they looked they looked fairly credible in many ways. But anyway, I, I am to bump into bump into. When I say bump into. I was tasked to go and do an interview with Robson, Brian Robson. I couldn't get him, get him uh, on, on one night, so I, I couldn't sleep. And then about five in the morning, I re- remembered that Alex Ferguson had always got in early to the training ground at sort of six or seven o'clock. So I, I got a cab, cab around there on a suicide mission and got through the gate and said, is, is Alex in there? And the bloke said, yeah, he is. Who, you know, I said, well, I stand and hey, I wrote the manageress. So, and he came and said, oh yeah, go up. And it's, this is a bizarre thing of Alex Ferguson making me a cup of coffee and having a chat in the morning about Brian Robson, you know. So I thought, bloody hell, you know, how did I, do, how did I manage that? And I was, you know, I was expecting to get, get, expecting to get crushed. Booted you know. out, yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway he, he said he liked it, he thought it was good and everything. So I invited him to the preview of the second series or whatever it was, and they had a preview you know, after an hotel thing. I said, well, I said hello to him, and he said, thanks for letting me come in last time. He said, Aye, but well, don't let it happen again. <laughs> so, thank you very much. Okay. Um, so, but a lot of people did, did did like it, you know, just from the professional. A lot of them just thought it was cobblers, really. But, and then <laughs> but I mean, that's some good stuff. I mean, the key moments were things like when somebody suddenly refers to her as the boss, you know, mm, mm. you know, and they, without without thinking, they just say, oh, he's the boss." And then mm. the, there was an ironic one in the first episode of the second series where the the she takes the captain out for dinner and. Uh, He's not there the next morning, you know. In fact, he got, what he does is he gets drunk and can't get back in the hotel and sleeps on the bus. And in the morning, they all think that she, she's had sex with the team captain. Yeah. You know? And they're all affronted. Normally, a footballer would be, yeah, get in. And they're all, yeah. no, he can't. Yeah. He couldn't do that. He couldn't do that to our bus. He shouldn't do that. Yeah. You know? so yeah. yeah. They get really upset, you know, so which is like this switching mentality. They're very protective towards her, you know. Um, so, you know. Yeah, it's a great series. Well, it, you know, everyone, most people like Craig Dyke liked it, you know, uh, Michael Gray, who was head of Channel 4, liked it, you know, and they were football people, you know, so had it been, you know, bad, they'd have, they'd have uh, cut it off at its prime, you know, well, so it did two well, series. It's, it's, it's 30 years on and people still talk about it, so I think that, that just goes to show how, how good it was. Well, Same yeah, sometimes sometime they do. I mean, I did one about three or four years later, which mystified completely the one set in Spain with it. Um, English Ford going to Barcelona, you know, it just the whole thing just fell apart, really, you know, by and large. Right. Um, but that was different circumstances. There were like 15 yeah. different producers and four different languages telling me what to do on that one. Oh, right. yeah. 
Yeah. And also, football had changed. It was more football. Big Premiership had started. Premier League had started, and money was pouring in. You know, and uh, mm. so anyway. So, uh, Stan, we'll let you go shortly. I mean, looking back, we haven't even scraped the surface of all the other wonderful things you've worked on in your career. We've sort of really focused on some of our um, sort of pet shows that we love to watch. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we haven't talked oh, about Dazeel yeah. and Pasco. Um, I know you worked on Spender too, which Andy's a fan of. Well, you know, you're, what are you working on now? And, you know, how, uh, you, just tell us about how you've enjoyed your life as a writer. Um, but it's great. It's great when it's going well and when you're busy. Um, so I was certainly at my busiest in in the eighties. It was just went from job to job really, and sometimes we're doing two jobs at once, you know. Because from the in between our feeders and pets one and two, I did this film with Lenny Henry uh, called Coast to Coast mm. uh, on BBC. For BBC, it's meant to be on BBC One, and they put it on BBC Two for some reason or other. Uh, about a young black kid in uh, in Liverpool. Being a, running a DJ thing and then going going on the run with an American, you know, and put this Motown soundtrack on it. And it, it won awards, went around America and things, you know. And then Lenny said, "Do some more stuff." And he ended up writing the Lenny Henry Show and uh, twelve episodes of his uh, Delbert Wilkins thing. And, yeah. And then the Manchester sort of came in at the end of that, you know. And then so around about then, I took a job on the Sunday Correspondent as a breather, and then the, did the Spanish football one. That, Sort of kill my career really sort of I, I, I took a time off because there's some rubbish stuff coming up you know and uh, it's been a bit thin since then but I've, I've got some stuff in the preparation now you know, or in you know I'm doing something about a, do you remember the um, real thing the band the Liverpool band yeah 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 well I, I'm trying to do a uh, a drama about there were two brothers Chris Amu who's the, the lead singer of the the real thing and his brother Eddie was in the chance you see so they reminded me of like the Isley Brothers you know that, that collection um, yeah they, so the chance started off in 61 and got, got signed up by Epstein Brian Epstein briefly right uh, but no, never quite made it and then Eddie moved into his, his brother's band to get, the, get them going you know so it's a story of right just Liverpool's only not only but main black pop group and it's called yeah Mer- Mersey Boys not Jersey right. Boys, but Mersey Boys. Yeah. Mersey Boys. Um, okay. So I'm working on that, and I've done a, a horse racing thing based on a book book I like. You know, I wrote it. Well, I like it, but I wrote it. Um, <laughs> about, 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 about an ethnic group in Bristol uh, buying a horse, buying a racehorse, and going to the races for the first time and experiencing the white British you know, disdain for you know, BAME. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. that sort of thing. Well, it's funny as well. Well, keep an eye out for all of it, Stan. I, I hope that you'll keep us posted on all of it on Twitter and elsewhere, so we can uh, keep track of it because we are big fans. Thank you. I'm very, I'm very grateful. I'm amazed there's anybody out there still. You know, it's like message, message in a bottle. You know, you think? <laughs> <laughs> everything goes quiet. And somebody, somebody ring, somebody phones. Oh, I remember you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Listen, our podcast's been going for a couple of years now, and it's yeah. usually just uh, me and Andy talking shit to each other, and we've never yeah. had anyone on a show on the show before as a guest. 
because it's not really yeah. the format. But we decided to introduce this new sort of like series of, of interviews with people that we admire called Humans right. of Honour. And and you're the first one. So you're the first ever person we've had on our podcast in, in two years. We don't usually do guests, but we just, you know, we, we, we realised that, you know, your work spans so much of, of the stuff that we loved that um, it has been a real delight to track you down and get you on. So thanks so much for yeah, your thank time. thank you. I am honoured. Humans of Honour. There we are then. Our first nice human of honour. Stan here. Lovely bloke. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, I kind done... of want to... Um, I want to remain friends with Stan <clears throat> Hay. Yeah. But he sounds like a quite calm, down-to-earth man who's yeah. living... I guess in... I don't know whether he, he sees himself as semi-retirement or what, but he's living what... I, I get the sense he's living a really nice life. Um, yeah. having achieved so much out in the countryside, right? He yeah. said he lived out in, near the Cotswolds. And I think that's wonderful. And so mm. I almost feel guilty about the fact that I know I'm going to impose myself upon his life going forward. Are you going to do more? You're going to approach him again? I, I can just... I just... I've got... I've I've developed an attachment to him in my mind. Kind and of I feel a, like a I'm going to try figure. and send him messages and, and be friends yeah. with him. And when lockdown's over, I'm going to try and meet him yeah. for a coffee yeah. and that sort of shit. Because I, I sometimes mm. am in that part of the world. Um, and so, yeah, I feel bad about that because he probably doesn't need a loud no. mouth no. Um, idiot I mean, sort of disrupting, will, disrupting his life. Hopefully that feeling will pass. It's just something that's fresh in your head because we've just done the interview. Hopefully yeah. you'll move on to a, a new target. A new target, on. yeah. Yeah, a new you'll corner someone else I almost said a new rat but that's not appropriate <laughs> uh, so there we are that's our first human of honour we might have another one soon who knows thanks for mm. listening though to nominate some if you want I mean well you know, provide contact we, we details if you do you. don't fucking nominate yourself we're not okay, interested hell. yeah alright cheers bye bye This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.